everyone and welcome to Flexi, the podcast where we talk with creative workers about their practice, motivation, fears and hopes in our day and age. My name is Barbara and on today's episode we will be chatting with Matt Stewart. Matt is a Berlin-based strategic designer, founder of Metadata Festival and Yara Swim Co, an all-around amazing and dynamic creative. We met while both of us were working together at a social innovation company and we quickly bonded over our love of speculation and how easily excited we get about new ideas. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hello Matt and thank you for being here today. First of all, can you tell us about yourself and what you do? Yeah, of course. Hello. Thank you, Barbara, for having me. And I just say I'm a massive fan of your radio voice. I love the intro. Um, but yeah, so Barbara, thank you so much for having me. Um, and um, yeah, so a little about a bit about me. Um, yeah, I'm from Melbourne, Australia, originally. Um, I'm a trained urban planner. Somehow before that, I was pretending to be an engineer, um, but definitely quite a long way from that now. Um, and at one point or another, discovered uh, the world of innovation and design thinking, uh, which kind of uh, changed my path, which I guess was always destined to be rather um, non-specific and quite open. And I guess this new world that was emerging around innovation and, and new ways of applying design to problem solving um, became kind of quite a logical pathway in some respects of being able to not necessarily be an expert, but still get to explore fascinating system related topics. Um, and I guess like a lot of my fascination from that came from when I was studying university around the late 2000s, climate change. I was like a particularly big wave around climate change um, awareness, particularly in Australia. And I was fascinated by the fact that the science was very clear, but nothing was happening. So I went from going, well, I want to work in science to go, well, actually, the world isn't how we're told it is. There's reasons why people are not doing something here. So instead of focusing on the technical side of things, I became much more fascinated by Well, actually, how do you really convince people to change uh, within a complex world? So, in a way, um, something that had to do a lot more with like soft skills and maybe creativity. Were you also like motivated by that, by the fact that maybe uh, engineering is usually seen as more of a hard skills uh, career path, and maybe there were stuff that was more interesting to you? related to, yeah, creativity and soft skills? Totally, 100%. So even from quite an early stage, I was someone who um, had ideas and always wanted to implement them. So even through university, I would have a task and I would decide that I want to do something very different. Um, so I'd have to kind of merge them in a way that led to an outcome but was actually what I wanted to do. Um, and I guess an example was that was my, was my research looking at um, the built environment's effect on loneliness in cities, uh, where I had to convince my professor, who was very much an urban planner, to allow me to do something that was much more a psychology uh, topic um, and allowed me, I guess, to explore that. So I guess all along the journey, I'm someone who has a lot of ideas, gets incredibly excited about ideas um, and kind of gets obsessed about implementing them. Um, yeah, so that's kind of something that I both struggle with 
um, and also obviously enjoy immensely. Yeah, that's interesting to me because we actually met in a very corporate environment. And one thing that I've been thinking about a lot is how do you keep um, these kind of like creative workers motivated? Uh, because a lot of the times you think of a creative worker as someone who is a freelancer or more of a free agent. Uh, but more and more in the workplace, you're asked to be creative, come up with innovative ideas. And how does that fit the more corporate or like how does that, what, what are the practical implications? And yeah, how do you think, how does that pan out? Totally. I think that's fascinating. Like a large part of a lot of the work that I do for corporates is exactly that, is um, empowering people who for their jobs are, I don't know, are kind of stuck in the machine of sitting at a computer doing very kind of what I wouldn't consider particularly creative or fascinating work, um, but um, empowering them to be, feel creative, which I guess I'm torn about because it somehow doesn't uh, align or really match up with the true creative side that I enjoy with my own kind of practice um, in art and design when it's my own work. So it's kind of almost like a weird watering down where you're empowering um, for the poor people that are stuck in the machine to feel creative, which is obviously very important because that's like a very powerful and important emotion. Or it's not an emotion, but I guess an important like um, thing to feel like you are um and so yeah i guess it's 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 really it can be difficult i think reflecting on my own kind of split personality when it comes to creativity um i have the corporate side which is very much um empowering others to be creative um and and pushing kind of design processes but i find that with me in particular creativity itself is a distinct choice And with that choice of being in a space of being truly creative is a hypersensitivity, which actually isn't able to manifest in the corporate workplace because it's quite a harsh uh, place where you can kind of uh, get shut down very easily. So I often find that when I'm kind of doing more artistic things or in the space of where I want to actually genuinely create, I become quite a different person, which is not like really someone who's suited for like much of the world that exists now because once uh, I truly kind of allow myself to become hypersensitive to my own kind of feelings and, and creativity and new ideas, um, it just doesn't really align with the much more, I guess, rigid yeah. structures of a corporate environment. Yeah, because um, I feel, I, I think about that a lot because I feel um, companies in the workplace have been like asking more and more of their workers, of their workers' soft skills that I think um, can't be disconnected with vulnerability. And uh, somehow they, these spaces ask for this, but don't really create the environments that allow for people to comfortably do this. Right, you're expected to be able to just switch between um, kind of being like a project manager and getting things done and just like switching on creativity, which Maybe some people can do. I just know that personally that's like a very difficult thing for me to do. I think it's, yeah, I mean, being vulnerable in general is something that it's very hard for everyone, I think. But then if you're like also doing it for maybe someone else's purpose, which is not yours, and this is like something that we've been listening to a lot. It's like 
that uh, workers are looking for purpose and they feel that like what they're doing has no impact and so on and I see a lot of like yeah corporate structures looking for it but I always question how possible it is actually to create these environments um, and really embrace uh, the differences in their collaborators because then people also become quite critical of these structures and I'm not sure that's what companies really want um, but yeah I, I struggle to see how then can you motivate your workers how can you like keep them happy without being either like too invasive or yeah just sounding dishonest well yeah, I guess adding to that as well I guess like the context more broadly having like read a lot of papers talking about the future and digitalization and robots kind of taking over jobs and these kind of like um, more worrying reflections of what the future looks like. Um, I guess I'm fascinated by the fact that there's always a footnote or a whole chapter of these reports that says, well, the great thing about robots is that it will allow humans to do the thing that we're best at, which is creativity and not do the menial work anymore, which I actually find uh I kind of believe it to be disingenuous in many ways, but I see it more as an amusing um, way of keeping us uh, from being afraid. Um, so actually, uh, last month, um, I organized a workshop in a retreat in Switzerland where we created a scenario um, of kind of the future where robots kind of taken over control of most things, um, but they realized that they didn't have creativity. So we, uh, we use a lot of creativity techniques with um, these kind of researchers and various people at the retreat um, to get them to come up with a creativity engine. Kind of our idea was that um, in this like dystopian future, uh, there must be a process by which humans can kind of be the end point and robots put their problems into a into a little stream and humans are possibly able to live in this beautiful environment by the lake and the nature and use creativity to basically ship back ideas into the robots themselves. So, um, I don't know, I find that general topic kind of amusing. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's very interesting because I think we also like believe very much that this is the future that's going to happen and we're not very prepared like for anything else but on the other way the other hand I think we are kind of being asked to be more and more productive which doesn't really make a lot of sense since we are in this like possible future right we are going to stop doing this like menial jobs or but then we will kind of stop to be productive in this like capitalistic classical way. Right, a non-predictable way. You can't predict that creativity is one, two, three, um, four comes next and that you end up with a certain result, right? We just keep on being productive and everyone really complains that like the world is asking so much of them and they're like so stuck and so worried and scared and blah, blah, and they can't really find their way into a world where maybe we don't work or we or you know we don't have to be productive then what happens to like all of these people who are not being productive totally i mean i think this was an amusing thing about the scenario we created where um it's kind of this idea that we gave up the um the power to machines and in exchange machines just 
um, say, you know what, we're going to make you feel useful and be creative because that makes you happy in exchange for you not worrying about what we're doing in terms of controlling the world anymore. But don't you think like that would also make people very um, lost? Because I also feel that like with the conversations I've been having with people, like most of us are kind of like already struggling to find a purpose for our existence. And if your only existence is to be creative and everything's going good, like how do you deal with that as a person? As I said, it was always taught to be creative. I think that's a very... Um, It's a point that we're kind of forgetting in this like narrative of, you know, there w we won't need to work anymore, people will just do poetry or be <laughs> philosophers, but that's not, you know... Totally. I think, um, I don't know, and I wonder how different it is in this time. Um, this, it seems that it's a particular trend. Obviously, we're not old enough to know what it was like in previous decades and centuries, but it's from what... It seems that this kind of drive towards needing a purpose is like, I, I guess, like this a hyperdrive version of like a, a no, very normal and human thing of needing to be useful and needing to, you must have a point, like there must be a reason for your existence. And maybe it's um, with the growth of globalization and then stuff like the internet and social media where you can kind of have access and see what everyone else is doing, your level of what is purposeful or impactful enough has gone up from like having an impact on like the people in your village which is the biggest thing that you know of um to all of a sudden that being like relatively pointless on a more existential level it may give you fulfillment in the moment because you're like helping people but um that many many of us probably feel that like if we don't have a certain impact we may have failed or we Yeah, definitely. Like how, and do you feel that way as well? And if you do, like, how have you been kind of uh, dealing with that and like trying to maybe work on projects that are impactful on other people, but also like are impactful on you, maybe let's put it that way. Like, I know that you have this project Design Sprint, mm -hmm. right? Where you kind of try and apply um, design thinking principles to careers and maybe people's lives. Mm -hmm. Um, did that come from maybe a, a need to be more impactful or have more purpose or share that with other people um, as well? Mm. Yeah, I guess so. So the, the life sprint is, um, as you said, it's like, it's the culmination of possibly, I guess, talking to many of me and my co-founder, Rakesh, uh, many of our friends um, who spoke of this challenge of like kind of this gap between like what they want to do and not really having, not being able to get there and, and ultimately being stuck. Um, in terms of my motivations within it, I think like, yeah, everything that I do is kind of this weird combination of like desperately driving towards a certain level of impact, which many of us are stuck by, um, but also having like this intense, more local and smaller scale need emotional need for being creative and creating new things um and i guess also just like relating to people in general so um yeah that project in itself um is uh is basically a tool um for um, helping people um to get unstuck in their career or life in general um so it, we use online tools um and a few different sessions 
uh, and you work in a, in a small group basically to try to um, get yourself unstuck on one sort of challenge. So I guess one really fun thing about the research we've done around that is um, kind of the awareness that, and there's a few things, one that many of us are driven by this, like we want to get somewhere and often we don't feel like we're there. Um, and there are all of these challenges that we have along the way, but sometimes we get really overwhelmed by how large they are. So the life sprint is something that uh, kind of reframes uh, your challenge or ongoing feeling or thought or something you've always wanted to do into something that's actually tangible, achievable, and makes sense that you can then use creativity to try to solve for. Um, but it also comes from the... the I guess the angle that we all kind of deep down know what we want to do. Uh, or like we have these things that we always want to do. And sometimes we just don't admit it to ourselves because it's too scary. Um, and ultimately it might just be, it's too scary to just get started because it's, you become vulnerable. You may not feel like it will fit into your schedule. Uh, you may not, I don't know. It just may not work out. So we're trying to, I guess, help people to take a, a first small step and then also change the way they think about projects into such ways that we don't get caught on these things yeah i think it's always this thing about like being um that for us to go where we want to go we have to be vulnerable but i guess like corporate environments are not very willing to accept this vulnerability the world is a very hard place right now to be vulnerable as well and i think it's nice that um you kind of like try and create like this um web of people that are kind of like being maybe vulnerable together or you share your vulnerability with them and that makes them also believe like it's okay to be vulnerable it's part of the process and it's important for me and what can I do how can I like harness this um, vulnerability into doing something that's like maybe productive and more willing or more fitting to this like outside world and how do you yeah take care of that how do you nurture it you know but with very kind of like practical principles as well and so applied for yeah. life uh in general i totally agree and i think like you yeah vulnerable is like a really good term there especially when you you tie that around creativity because i think it's like a very kind of similar state like when you become more for me it's just being um emotionally aware or actually allowing your emotions to have more impact um rather than suppressing them um that yeah of course you become vulnerable and yeah so the the life sprint is definitely about creating um safe spaces to yeah, be okay with that and i think as you said like the idea of feeling that you're not alone uh it's so simple and it's so obvious and somehow life happens over and over again that we keep falling into this trap of thinking we are alone and then realizing oh no we're not alone but then we forget that again and so um yeah i don't know um, one question that it's maybe a bit uh, more personal, but I think it could be quite useful for our listeners, uh, is how do you make yourself comfortable to maybe start a project or how do you go about yourself when you are, so you're kind of like giving advice to people on how to do this, but how do you that, do that uh, for yourself? Like how do you motivate yourself or how do you make yourself comfortable to be vulnerable enough to then go out into the world and say, look, I have this project, I have this thing to share with you. Um, yeah, how do you manage that? I think not very well. Um, I think um, probably that's why this stuff with the live sprints 
and empowering other people is something of interest to me. And I think I hope that ties into why I'm quite good at it is the sense that I just know how difficult every step of that is. Um, and so I guess over like my career so far, I've, I've, I guess the thing that's made me do all these things that are uncomfortable, um, is not necessarily the best process, but it's like just an intense desire to have to do it. So I kind of don't have a choice. And so every time a new idea like becomes exciting and has potential, it's like, um, you're kind of dragged into it. Um, and it doesn't matter what the consequences are. There's like this drive that doesn't let you pull back. I think broader speaking of what I'm getting better at and what I think is just so important is other people. I'm a huge uh, fan of interdependence. I think like definitely as someone growing up uh, male in an Anglo society or just generally in the world in like the nineties, um, uh, being independent is kind of like was kind of the only okay thing to be um and any kind of fear of seeming dependent um was really kind of a negative thing for me i don't think dependency is good either and that's where like um i think the more we're able to become self-aware of uh, what we need and what we need from other people um there's just tremendous opportunity to like not just yeah, not just rely on yourself at some of the things that you suck at, but actually like you're sure you're trying to achieve your goals and but other people you're connected to are as well. And it's just like it's just it always fascinates me how much you can get through that. And I guess thinking of my journey, all of the projects that I've really done only start when I have a partner. So uh, I have like basically this constant backlog drawer of projects that would never end um, that I sometimes do, sometimes don't. And my first step is, is just to send the idea into the world and see kind of is, do people like want to it or not? Then it's always a case of, do I have someone else who I like working with who steps up and kind of goes, oh yes, yeah, so we can do this together. Um, and so I guess that kind of ties directly into that first way of, reducing the barriers and making work. Yeah, it's like, um, it's all about meaning, meaningful, creative collaborations, right? And that you have someone that maybe tells you like, you're doing good, you're doing great, and that maybe are also involved, when you bring them into the project, they're also like involved in the stakes of the project. Totally. And so they're also bringing so, themselves and also being vulnerable with you. So I guess, yeah, I, in the end, it's mostly about community, right? I guess totally. like, our communities were kind of not destroyed, but they're changing a lot. And what it feels is that we have like kind of global communities nowadays, right? And we definitely need to um, adapt to those, right? Um, can you tell me a little bit more like how you like to collaborate with people? How does that go about? Yeah, well, I guess that changes too and tie into your point around global communities with the live sprint. Um, I think we've already had people join because it's all online um, from over a dozen countries um, in like four different continents um, and it's growing and this just kind of talks to just the nature of like this distance on kind of some level of collaboration. It's just like doesn't exist in some ways as well. Um, how do I collaborate with people? Um, I guess like on a high level, like I really like to collaborate in pairs. 
this is like kind of my preferred way of um, managing things. Um, like a duo, not a band. A, no, a duo, <laughs> definitely. I think uh, I've always thought of it as being like, sure, if your founding team might have, um, goes from one to two to three members, three members might be smarter and achieve better results, but it's going to be much slower. And it's a question of how much energy do you have to um, put into it? And I guess my sweet spot of where I found with like true partnership is in kind of in two. Um, it's amazing the speed with which things they've done in two versus three, whereas simply a phone call aligns on everything and everything's up to date versus when it's three, it can be a meeting that someone misses catching up two people meeting and then sharing that together, which can be brilliant, especially when you're in the same space. But I guess on that close collaboration, um, yeah. Yeah, and also this thing that you talk about um, investing energy, which I think it's like something to be very aware of in collaborations is like how much energy do you want to invest in something versus the result you're kind of expecting. And um, I don't know, one thing I noticed, at least in collaborations, is like it's always these contrasts between your expectation of how things are going to pan out and according to the energy you put in and you know, regulate um, this investment, like you were saying. But I think we don't always see investing our energy as an investment. Mm. Like, for example, let's say like a financial investment, mm. but it, it should be seen a little bit the same way, right? So Totally agree. Yeah, I think like I've kind of been working on an analogy more broadly, I guess, to help myself be okay with not achieving more with the time that I have is kind of separating almost an entity called time energy, which is my working title for it, where it's like, let's say every week you have like a hundred units of this time energy, uh, but that's it. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's a number of hours, um, but it could be that if you, did, if you did all the projects that you had to the level you wanted, you'd probably need two or 300 versions of that and you don't have it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's exactly why you need to be very strategic with where you put your time, what, when you put in those energy points, what gives a bunch of them back and what actually just sucks them all up. Um, and where are you happy to not be perfect in exchange for actually fitting so many things in? So I think energy is just a fascinating kind of um, space to explore. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think so as well, because I always had this idea that I have, this was my perspective over like, maybe my creative energy was that I had like this bottle that I need to fill up. And then whenever I work on something, I just like take out of it and use it a bit like That's an ingredient, so cool. That's really you know, cool. let's, let's put it this way. Like, yeah. I know an ingredient that I put into stuff yes. that always needs to be filled up, yes. you know, and I need to be very aware of how low yes. it is and how much, and also understand that imagine if I'm saying yes, to a project or even like a commitment yeah. if I have enough energy in yes. that bottle yes. to for that and then if it's getting really low how do I nurture myself back into you know full creative yes. I don't know potential or ingredients or whatever um, and I guess my question for you is how do you fill your bottle up or if you even relate to this idea of... No, I love it. I mean, I think it's like just a different way of describing the same analogy I was... I, I kind of feel in a way uh, where it says limited energy units and 
they you like lose some and then you have to try to gain them. Um, I get a lot from people. Um, I call myself a reclusive extrovert, uh, if that makes any sense to anyone. Um, where I actually do need people to feel energy, but sometimes I get kind of drawn away from it because various I don't know certain types of groups, but um, definitely one-on-one conversations. Um, ideas excite me a lot. So I think we, we've connected a lot uh, <laughs> over how excited we are usually about new ideas and new things and yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think there's also like one area which probably I have to focus on more in the next few years are like the obvious boring basics like eating well, exercising and so on. Um, I think that's definitely, that's, um, yeah, that's something where you just got to commit and realize that. It's so important. There have been so many times where I'm working and I'm thinking like nothing's working out. My ideas are really crappy right now. And then I realize that I haven't eaten for like, I don't know, three hours or I didn't even like drink any water. I was like so involved that I didn't like feed myself with the basics. And I think that's just so important. It's something so basic to us as like eating, yeah, exercising, drinking water, all of these things. They're very basic for sure. And I think just adding to that as well and, and what's like broader being described around the energy and, and these kind of things is self-awareness. And I think like self-awareness is vital for yourself as you were describing, right? Like when your bottle kind of gets lower because you're self-aware of that, you're able to actively make a change on that. And I think that's super important. But when I think about um, really powerful um, combinations and partnerships that I've had with other people, I think self-awareness when shared uh, is an incredibly powerful part of, of great collaboration. Oh, I see. Yeah. Because by being able to communicate to the other person uh, some of your weaknesses or some of the triggers or some of the, the situations where you might, um, I don't know, uh, lose out or kind of like become less productive or non-useful or fall into kind of like a mental uh, trap. Um, the other person is often like can be your first line of defense. Uh, and because you are a team on this can really say, okay, hey, Barbara, like you're doing this thing. That's, that's usually a sign that you have eaten. Let's get food. And just like when you share the burden between each other of like, I guess empowering each other based on information you have. I think that's just such a powerful like Yeah, definitely. I mean I I I teach currently and I teach with a I have a a partner that I teach with and it's very interesting because we do a lot of like very um demanding feedback rounds with our students and it is a great thing for them of course, but it's quite draining uh if you're doing it for let's say like one, two, three hours. And I'm, I'm very fascinated by how naturally like we help each other out and we kind of sense each other's energy. And if I realize that my partner is feeling a little bit low, I don't mind, you know, taking the lead or I know I'm super grateful because she also understands when maybe my energy is becoming a, li a little bit low and she takes the lead. And like, I don't know how I could do this um, without her because it's something that I love doing. But I definitely need support um, from someone else, you know, and it's I, I feel very grateful for, as you were saying, these like creative um, collaborations. I think they can lead really leave us, lead us in our way forward. But yeah, we need to see how much energy we spend on them and, you know, analyze it um, very well. 
Um, just to finish, I have a question for you. Uh, do you want to share something with our listeners that you have learned so far and make your work life much easier or just a little easier? I think um, shorter cycles of feedback is an obvious one where it's um, really making sure I have, first of all, people around that can give feedback, but um, trying not to make anything too perfect before. Um, testing that out I think my approach often um, and it's the same with the life sprint and other projects now has become very much like and again about saving energy is going well how do I prove that this is a shit idea really quickly so that I don't do it anymore uh, which also turns out to just be a really nice way to um, to test something not be overwhelmed by the fact that it's massive because it's only a small thing like each each round you're just trying to prove that it doesn't work um, and then everything that uh, kind of fights through and doesn't fail, you get, um, I guess, it ends up being something that you work on longer term. So I think that's one, definitely one thing. So. Basically readjusting your um, expectations. Readjusting expectations <laughs> and just testing early, testing early, testing often, being ready to drop things because you know you've got so many other ideas um, that there's no point wasting too long on ones that don't catch, maybe the timing isn't right or whatever, so yeah.